defense? What can Vikings fans expect from an Ed Donatel defense? You can expect that they're going to be full of surprises and um, they're going to be unpredictable. And and especially with with some of the pieces that the Vikings have, he'll be able to move those pieces around and have those guys flying around. On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. One of a kind opinions, big name guests, the teams you care about every, every, every day. It's the Ron Johnson Show, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Show, and I'm your host, Ron Johnson. For those watching on YouTube, welcome. For those listening on the podcast, thank you for subscribing. Please share with your friends. Let them know. We got some good guests coming up this week. We got Dale Reed. We got Chris Harris, coach for the Washington Commanders. Uh, we're going to have the Gophers coach, Kenny Burns, talking about Marion Barber and his running backs. But before we get into that, I have to bring my producer in, Sam Ekstrom. Sam, this is Vikings. Like, I, I feel like minicamp, everybody's on high alert now. Like, football season, everybody said we're 100 whatever days away. Now we're like 90-something days away from football. So you can feel football in the air. You can, I mean, I saw the tweet, Aaron Rodgers is back. He set out, of you know, OTAs, he's back now for minicamp. So we're going to see a ton of that. But then there's Chris Boyd. And there's a lot of things Chris Boyd could have done this week. Uh, you know, pay tribute to Jeff Gladney. Uh, which I'm guessing he did, but, you know, of course, it's all about the sensationalism of media. And Patrick Peterson, as you pointed out, has a podcast. And Chris Boyd made a comment on his podcast um, about the coaches, you know, about that they, you know, he felt like players and coaches walked around with their buttholes tight. That sphincter, like I used to always say, is tight. I knew you would um, bring up the sphincter. <laughs> Got to bring up the sphincter. And then he also said that uh, he felt like if they made a mistake, the world was over. This is what I'll say to that. And then you can give me your thoughts. Yeah. One. So what? Like world, the world is not fair. Life is not fair. You know, there's so much in this world that's never going to be perfect. Um, bosses, CEOs, if you work for somebody, you have to deal with their work environment. Now you have two choices, leave or figure out a way to make it work. And this is what I'll say. I used to hear stuff about that, about certain Gophers coaches. And people would say that about their, you know, oh, man, I feel like they're always yelling at us or this coach always yells at me. I never got that. Maybe because, you know, I was giving them a 1,000 yards a season, maybe because of the touchdowns, maybe because I was the number one receiver on the team. Who knows? But I never felt that way. If I made a mistake, I just made a mistake and I moved on. Like, I didn't feel like the world was over. Now, I will say this. When I got to the NFL, I did feel like that at times, like that if I made a mistake, like, oh, shoot, like, you know, I'm thinking about it all day. Why? Because I was on the verge at any point of being cut. I wasn't a star. I was a fringe guy playing special teams. I was a third wide receiver. So I was a fringe guy. I was a guy that if they drafted another guy the next year, I possibly was out. Every year I'm watching the draft like, oh, please don't draft a receiver. You know, and so when you think about that, I think it's about perspective of how you take to coaches. Like, I think there's a, a certain aura around certain players um, that can say that. Now, yes, now you're getting more and more players that are saying this, and stars, Eric Kendricks, other guys are saying this, and they're talking about more in the locker room stuff, more walking through the hall stuff. Uh, but Chris Boyd is talking, like, football stuff. He's talking football, like, world is open. Not, uh, I walked upstairs and I, I grabbed a salad on, on chicken day. You know, he's talking on the field stuff. And so... 
I, I, I bet if he didn't make some of the mental errors that he made, if he didn't make some of the mistakes that he made, I don't think he would have felt that way that the world was over every time he made a mistake. Um, I feel like maybe because they were coming down on him as that guy. And, and, and honestly, let's see beyond corners are on the stage at all times. I've just watched a bunch of Jabbar Chase highlights and I'm thinking about the corners he was going against. Those guys probably thinking the same thing. Like, Oh my God, like how did I do it again? Um, when you make a play and you're in the right position, Hey, but when you make a play, when you miss a play, you should have been there. And if you were there, the coach, you would have done it right. If you listened to the coach and you would have made the play, but you weren't. So you messed up then. Yeah, it weighs on you. So I, I do think like coaches should do a better job of like talking to players like, like Daryl Reed, you know, we, we talked to Daryl Reed and, you know, at some point, um, you'll hear more from Daryl Reed, but he, he talks about Tony Dungy's kind of even kill. Uh, you know, he's never going to yell at you. He's no matter how good it is, how bad it is. He's always going to find that middle ground and, and, and minister to you. Well, that was Tony Dungy's style. Um, could Zimmer have, have used a little Dungy? Maybe like you never know, but, um, I, I just feel like at this point it's just sensational. They're beating a dead horse. Um, it's going to be amazing to me, and I pray that this doesn't happen to the Vikings, but if they don't have good seasons in the next two or three years and it, it becomes this Brad Childress-type atmosphere, I, I think people are going to look back like, man, maybe they need an author 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 authoritarian. They need an authoritative figure. You know, they needed somebody to yell at them. But now, we don't know. Kevin, like, he hasn't even had a chance to do a game yet. So we don't know. Like, when he sees a mistake, maybe he is a yeller. Who knows? Maybe he's a quiet talker like Dungy. Um, but I don't see a problem, honestly, in the end. I don't see a problem with Chris Boyd's comments. Like, it is what it is. Like, that's how you felt. Great. I just think people are going to put it out there because it's sensational to say Zimmer's name with bad culture. Um, it, it's just one of those things. Like, P.J. Flake and roll the boat for a couple years, that was the way to, like, beat a dead horse. Now it's just it's just the culture. You don't see it as a negative anymore. People don't constantly bring it up. You know, they're running out the tunnel, the other stuff P.J. does. Nobody brings it up. But, Sam, I mean, what do you think about Chris Boyd's comments? Yeah, I think it it shows the growing gap between sort of that old school, no nonsense approach and the younger player in today's game. And the old coaches love to complain about how no one wants to be coached anymore. They don't want to be criticized. And I mean, the reality is that it, it takes a little more delicate touch. And I don't know if Mike Zimmer had the most bedside manner of all time. Kevin O'Connell probably does. But but here's where he loses me just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Chris Boyd was undisciplined on the field. When he was in games, he made mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, special teams, he made silly errors. He committed penalties. Um, so when you're making mistakes in games, it, it seems apparent that you needed instruction during practice. And mm -hmm. Chris Boyd hadn't earned their trust. Now, if that comment comes from someone like Kendricks, who is an all-pro, is one of the best linebackers in football, starter on the team, it carries a little more weight with me. Mm -hmm. But when it comes from someone who's been on the bench, struggling to see the field it feels a little more like sour grapes so I I, I get why you want to you know have a little better relationship with your coach that's certainly respectable but it sounds it seems to me like Chris Boyd needed that intervention to play better because he kept making those mistakes and that's why he's been kind of a role player for the last three years mm -hmm. and this is one thing I will say though PJ Fleck I love the way he says you have to coach 
every kid differently. He talks about his background as a teacher and he's like, you know, I forgot what he taught, but he talks about being in a classroom of fifth or sixth graders or some or first grade. I don't know, but fifth or sixth graders. And he's like, you can't teach every kid the same way. You have to learn that kid, take the time to learn them and then teach them. Some kids are better at math than others. Some kids are better at spelling than others. Some kids are better at social studies than others. You have to learn, like this kid might learn by with flashcards. This kid learns by me writing on the board. This kid learns by doing it himself and, and just self-teaching and reading. Um, but you have to learn that. You can't force every kid to self-teach. You can't force every kid to watch me write on a whiteboard. You can't force every kid to use flashcards. Every kid has a different way of learning. And, and maybe that's that was maybe the problem. You know, P.J. Fleck coaches every player a little bit differently. You know, he knows Rashad Bateman from Tyler Johnson from Chris Hartman Bell. Each guy is going to be a little bit different in the approach, the way you can talk to him, what you can say to him. Uh, you, you know how to get the best out of him. Um, you know, Tyler being a quiet guy doesn't need you to be all rah, rah, rah with him. You know, Rashad as well. Chris Hartman Bell likes that. He likes the jumping and the pushing and the, you know, the physicality of a coach. Um, but you have to learn that. You have to learn that. And so, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe Chris Boyd, because he wasn't Patrick Peterson, because he wasn't, you know, a, a, you know, Cam Dantzler or Jeff Gladney, a first round draft or third round draft pick, um, that, that they didn't take the time to learn him. Um, he, you know, and, and maybe that's what he felt. He felt like, you know, I don't feel like I'm getting enough attention. And PJ coaches everybody. You know, he says that from the top to the bottom. And uh, but that's something in college you have time to do and you're you're growing an 18 year old where in the NFL, this might be the one year you have this guy and then you got to move on to the next year with a new group of guys because this guy, you know, those guys didn't make it. You're going to keep your guys, you know, around. So it, it's just a different beast uh, coming from college in Texas. You know, what I mean, like, you know, DBU, as they think they call themselves, but now I think it's LSU. Who knows? Uh, but when, when you see that, that's where I think it comes from. It, it comes from maybe a guy that wasn't coached the way he probably needed to be coached. And you can't blame him for that. Like, I, I think that's another part of it. Like, every player learns differently. And you know what? If they, were, if they couldn't find a way to unlock the, the, the greatness of Chris Boyd or the, 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 the ability of Chris Boyd or the mental uh, wherewithal of Chris Boyd, we'll see. Because if this year, if he does look a lot better, plays a lot better, then you can say it was coaching. But if he looks the same, it is what it is. And if he makes a mistake now, I guarantee the staff, because defensive coaches don't, I don't care what you say about culture. Defensive coaches are a different group of beasts. And when you make a mistake on defense, those coaches are pissed off. Offense is a little bit more, you know, boutique. You know, it's a little bit different mm. style. Defense is hard no smack people in the mouth. Like, it's a different group of coaches because they played it. You know, you look at Minuski and some of those. I mean, those guys are crazy and they're coaching. And so now you put crazy and coaching together and you get a bad result on the field. You're going to get a crazy reaction. And I and I and I will see what this year brings up, though. But coming up next on the Ron Johnson show, we got Dale Reed. Dale Reed won a Super Bowl. He has some great words for what the Vikings fans should expect in a Super Bowl from Kevin O'Connell and when that Super Bowl is going to come. Because Dale Reed's been there. He's seen Tony Dungy's culture change. He thinks Kevin O'Connell might have that formula. Stick around for that. If you enjoy the Ron Johnson Show, you'll enjoy our other daily show on Locked On Sports Minnesota. It's Superior Sports Talk with Carol Levin Sports Director Reggie Wilson and his co-host Luke Emmon. Whether it's Twins, Vikings, Wolves, or Wild, Reggie and Luke have it covered. All the breaking news and big opinions. 
Catch five, catch the show five days a week by subscribing to Locked On Sports Minnesota's YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcast. Boom. Next up on the Ron Johnson show, it's a guy that I played with. I got some stories, but I won't tell them all. Uh, but D Reed, uh, Dale Reed, D Reed's what we call him, but Dale Reed, uh, former Gophers defensive lineman, went on to the Colts, played for the Broncos, but more importantly, uh, won a Super Bowl. He also, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the interview, but he also was teammates as, as well as myself with Marion Barber. Um, but D Reed, man, I want to I want to thank you for joining me on the Ron Johnson show. Uh, first question, man, like you look at the Minnesota Vikings, they've now uh, fired Mike Zimmer. They've added Kevin O'Connell as head coach from the Rams. Uh, they bought in Ed Donatel, defensive coordinator. They're changing from a 4-3 to a 3-4. So different scheme, different players. Darius Smith comes over from the Packers. Uh, a lot, a lot of moving pieces. But when you think about culture, because there's culture conversations all around the league, college too. You got roll the boat with PJ Fleck. You got John Harbaugh with the khakis and the hard nose. Uh, Michigan Wolverines. You know everybody tries to talk about culture. And when you think about Tony Dungy's culture and uh, getting to the pinnacle, you know, winning the Super Bowl, first half American coach to win the Super Bowl. Uh, what do you remember most about that building uh, being around Tony Dungy? Well, that 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 building with the Colts, the culture of that building from the top of the organization all the way down. They they built they built a winning culture, and it it was it was great leadership, you know, from the top down, from from ownership to to the building, and everybody cared about each other, you know, and it was a it was very close close knit family, that that Colts that Colts team and. We had a lot of great players on that team. If, if you go back and look at that team, there's five or six or seven Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers on that team. So we also had a, a really great team. I didn't I didn't realize that you know you don't go to the playoffs every year until I went to Denver, you know, because <laughs> I was I was so used to starting off ten and zero every every season. Like I thought it was the norm. Like this is the standard goal setting. I, I think every team sets goals, but. I think the leadership from from the top down and how they did things was was different, and that's what made made them special. But it started it started with with the ownership with Jim Irsay, um, and then Bill Polian, you know, great GM, built those Buffalo teams um, that went to four Super Bowls in a row, and then you know came to Indy, and you know they would they got the kind of guys that fit their system. They were really uh, systematic. In their approach to to drafting and and bringing on free agents, and you know, you got a guy like Peyton that's a, a, a true leader. I I remember in the weight room, everybody's workouts had to be like tailored down a little bit because if you were doing something that Peyton wasn't doing, he would co- he would go to the strength coach and say, "How come I'm not doing what the D lineman's doing? How how come I'm not doing what the linebackers are doing?" Because you're a quarterback, but he was the competitive nature that that he played with and that a lot of, I mean, all great players play with was um, something that just trickled down throughout to, you know, some of the other players like myself. Yeah. When you look at the NFL quarterback, you said the top, you know, Peyton Manning, I remember being there for, for two off seasons uh, as an assistant coach and, and just working with the receivers, working with Clyde Christensen, uh, you know, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Anthony Gonzalez, uh, Roy Hall, and then you know you look over at, at Dallas Clark, and you, and you see, you know Peyton Manning out there working out. And so when I look back at that with Peyton Manning changing plays, kind of running 
uh, walkthrough, uh, changing 707, where basically they were his plays. There was no script. You know, he kind of knew the defense, but, you know, they, they were within the, the parameters of, hey, don't get crazy, but here's what the defense is going to give you. Okay, now go out there and create. When you think about Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins gets knocked in the NFL uh, for Monday night football mainly, you know, not being a gamer in big situations. Uh, when you think about Peyton Manning and what he did, what can Kirk Cousins do to get people to start to see him that way as a guy that can win in big moments, as a guy that can lead the team, as a guy that's going to compete, you know, every single day? I don't know Kirk Cousins personally, and I don't know his approach to the game. I don't know his how often he's in the building, how much extra work he's putting in. Because to, to be a starting NFL quarterback, you have to be putting in a lot of work, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, let's let's give him some credit. He is the starting quarterback of that oh, yeah. team, has been. And so he's he's doing he's doing a great job. How could he take it to the next level? I, I'm not sure. I, I know what Peyton did, but I, I also know that Peyton was one of the most gifted quarterbacks in NFL history. <laughs> you know, with with his mental, with his mental and his right arm, he was very gifted, but he did put in a lot of extra work. I, I can remember times where by the time I got to Indianapolis, him and he had been there for about eight years, him, him and Marvin. And if they missed any route, if they missed anything in practice, after practice, they would hit that route over and over. And I'd be in the parking lot leaving, and they're still on the field hitting the same route over and over and over again. And, um, you know, that's that's one thing about that I that I realized after I was done playing. I needed to be putting in a lot of extra work <laughs> to try to catch up with these greats. Um, they were already all pro. They were already, already Hall of Famers, and they were still – their drive, you know, and their drive to be perfectionists. And, I mean, it goes across all sports and all genres and all, all the greats. They put in a lot of extra work. And I don't know, Kirk Cousins might already be putting in a lot of extra work. And some of that is, is God-given. Some of that is you have to be in the right place at the right time. And may, maybe this year is his time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had a new coach, new culture, new mindset. When you think about Tony Dungy's team meetings, Tony Dungy's conversations with you, uh, I know, I mean, you've, you've had, and for people, please YouTube uh, Daryl Reed special teams play for the Colts. Like, it'll pop up. It was the biggest hit I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I was proud to be a gopher in that moment. Um, but, Daryl, when you think about conversations you've had with Tony Dungy, what, what is something, you know, what is something that he told you or something that you'll never forget getting from Tony Dungy, like a nugget that you kept with you for your life? There, there's so there's so many and 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 you know Coach Dungey you know him personally and so he walks he walks with a different type of vibe he he doesn't curse he's not he's not a rah rah coach he's he's not going to be yelling at guys and he's going to speak to you more like a father figure mm -hmm. and he's going to put things he's more even killed so he's going to put things in perspective. No matter how high you are, no matter how low you are, he's going to put things in perspective, and he's always going to put God first. And and so he, he's a very balanced, very balanced individual and very balanced person. And he he really walks he walks with God. So that that's number one with him. And but but the way the way he approaches the game is more more like or approaches players and relationships with players 
is more like a father figure. It's more like it, this is football, but there's more than just football. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the goal setting and all of that is, is going to remain there as far as football goes. Daryl, when you think about, like, you know, your days, man, at the U with Marion Barber, man, like, like what, what do you remember most about Marion? Well, just just like you remember when I came in, I remember when Marion first came in, and you know, and 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 we all do. We remember when Marion came in; he was a shy, quiet, um, quiet kid. You know, he he had the he had the body and the look of a grown man, though. He yeah. he already had a he already had a a college body, you know, and had looked like he had been working out for years already. But he he was very quiet, very shy, very reserved. And he always he always had his his sweatpants on. He always had some gopher sweatpants on, you know. And he just he just went about his business and he didn't really you had to earn his trust. He was a person you had to earn his trust because he wasn't gonna open up to everybody um, until you earned his trust. And it wasn't, you know, until probably his second or third year that, you know, his personality started to come out and you know he he trusted us enough to to be himself, you know, and um, you know, re- even even after he became, you know, one of the the greatest players in at Minnesota and rushing for a thousand yards, he still was super humble, still um, very giving, very um, always full of full of laughter, full of positivity always had a smile on his face. I, I don't remember Marion really ever being upset or mad at anybody or anything through, throughout the entire time that I knew him. And even even when he went to the Cowboys, you know, he I remember going to his house with a bunch of guys, going to his house in Dallas and, and hanging out and him just being very giving and inviting guys out or taking guys out and things like that. So um, great, great spirit, great spirit. And I, I know, Ron, you have you got the memory of an elephant, so I know you have you have the stories. <laughs> I know you have some some stories, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, I got I got I got a bunch, man. Like y'all y'all were a funny group of young dudes, man. Like I I look back on that time with like Air Force Ones, you know, that was the big thing. It still is, but it was huge back then. And coming out of Detroit, that's all we wore was Air Force Ones, and I'll never forget Marion coming to me. And uh, trying to show me because his dad's from Detroit and he wanted to kind of connect with me on the Detroit side. Like, hey, man, like I'm from Detroit, too. And I really thought he was at first until his dad showed up one day. He's like, no, nah, I'm from Detroit. This dude's from like Wyzetta, you know. So but that was Marion. Like he was always joking around, laughing, having fun. You're right. Like he was he was, in my opinion, and I can say this, he was better than Tellis Redmond. But as a freshman, he was willing to play the back seat to a guy that he probably, you know, felt like I'm better than this guy. But, you know, Marion never once, you know, cried or whined or said anything to the coaches about I should get the ball more. You know, when he split time with with Lawrence Maroney, I remember coming back and uh, talking to him. Same thing. He never cared. He's like, man, look, we're going to go out here and win. That's all I care about. And uh, yeah, man, he was a he was a giving guy. Uh, But y'all were funny, man. Y'all were y'all were a funny group of, of guys like just. Just the constant locker room jokes. Uh, the Because the, I was number three, he was 21. So he was like right down the line um, of our lockers. And so it's just, we always, like there was always something going on over there. Like some, and then Greg White was kind of right there in that corner. And so Greg always, I mean, I can't even tell how the Greg Greg stories. Like it's, some of the stuff he did is not not made for TV. Right. But it was just literally constant laughter. 
uh, constant fun. And so, you know, to, to read Marion Sr. or Jr., sorry, his dad's comments about what Marion wanted with his life, you know, how he wanted to to, to be remembered. Um, that's what I'm going to do. That's my goal the next, like, couple weeks, man. And my show is always find a way to pay tribute to Marion because, um, you know, he, he, he lived a life that he wanted people to remember and not worry. You know, and I think everybody was so worried about what he thought or what was going on. And Marion was in his own kind of world. Like, I'm, I'm good. I just got to figure this thing out. And so that's what I'll always remember. Marion was that guy. He was, well, you're right. He he didn't trust people. Like, he, you had to earn his trust. You had to show him you were legit. Like, you're not going to turn on me. You're not going to tell on me when Coach Mason walks to the locker room. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. And, and then once, once that happened, like, just hearing all the stories, Coach Mason has some stories. Tony Patterson's coming on later this week with some stories. Terrence Campbell is coming on. So, yeah, man, everybody – that you see even Tony Romo for the Cowboys, you know, he, he said something cool about Marion as well. And that that's who Marion was. Um, last one before I let you go, Daryl, um, winning a Super Bowl. When you think about that, you know, the, 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 that's the, that's the ultimate goal. You know what I mean? That's the, I, I'll never get you coming to my wedding, uh, with, with your Super Bowl ring. And I'm not gonna tell that story, but you know, like Wokey and all the friends, Dana, Tasha, everybody, you know, Lawrence, everybody's going out. And all I heard was, man, Daryl Reed, man, he blah, blah, this, this, this. He, you know, the bar, the, the bartender asking these questions. He got the Super Bowl ring. Um, but when you think about winning the Super Bowl, you know, in UTEC, another gopher, he was with you on that. Um, what can teams, you know, like you said, it, it's, it's about getting to the playoffs first, and then it's about, you know, leadership from the top. What can a team like the Vikings do to finally get over that hump and win a Super Bowl? And 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 shouts to Ed Donatella that uh, he was a defensive coach when I was in in Denver, so I'm very familiar with him, his system, and um, how he likes to play, how he likes to coach, and uh, I think he's going to be really good for the Vikings. Uh, you know what? Well, let me give you that one then. What 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 can Ed Donatell's defense? What can Vikings fans expect from an Ed Donatell defense? You can expect that they're, they're going to be full of surprises, and um, they're going to be unpredictable. And and especially with with some of the pieces that the Vikings have, he'll be able to move those pieces around and have those guys flying around. And I, I believe the Vikings will be able to put up points on offense and they just have to they have to get stops. They have to keep teams, you know, from scoring on defense. And um, I, I remember in Denver, we started off and um, it was a new culture. So <laughs> um, Josh McDaniels, who's now the, the Vegas Raiders head coach, it was his first time as a head coach when I was in Denver. So mm -hmm. he brought in a new culture to Denver. And, you know, that's when, you know, Demarius Thomas, rest in peace, was drafted. And Tim Tebow and uh, Noshawn Moreno and Brian Dawkins came over. And Champ Bailey was already there. And um, Elvis Dumerville was there. And we started off 6-0 and that season. 6-0. and So... Teams did not know what to expect from us, and and we caught a lot of teams off guard, a lot of good teams off guard. Um, mm -hmm. when, when we had that six and zero run, um, I got hurt in the seventh game, so you know things went downhill from there. You know, in my mind, you know, but um, I, that's what I expect. I, I expect the I expect the Vikings to start the season off really hot. You know how how they finish, we'll we'll see. But I think I think they'll start off hot you know, with this, with, with the new head coach and, and the new defense um, going from a 4-3 to a 3-4, um, big change. But I think they're bringing in the pieces that fit that defense and, and they'll start off hot. And 
maybe they needed a, a, a different culture right now, you know? Um, I, I think it was time and, and, and they, they needed that to be able to take a, take that next step because they have a pretty good, they have a pretty good core. Well, appreciate you, Daryl, joining me on the Ron Johnson show. Uh, that'll do it for this segment. But next up, we got the daily three. That's three questions, three minutes each. Stay tuned. Do you want instant post-game reaction from insiders that cover your favorite sports teams? Well, check out our Locked On Sports Minnesota's podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Following every Twins, Vikings, Wilder, Wolves game, our Locked On team hosts are broadcasting live with team insiders like Kevin Gorg for the Wild and Brandon Warren for the Twins. Never miss a podcast by subscribing to Locked On Minnesota Sports' YouTube channel or subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever you get it, just subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota and you'll be able to catch all of our shows five days a week. Well, it's that time. It's the daily three. That's three questions, three minutes each. Take it away, Sam. Vikings question of the day. Let me ask you this, Ron. Minnesota loses Anthony Barr after eight seasons in Minnesota. He is no longer on the team. How much will the Vikings miss him? So this is my question to you. Has he signed with another team yet? No, not to my knowledge. So this is what I think about Anthony Barr. I don't think they've officially lost him first. I think that there's still a chance because when you look at Zadarius Smith and think about veterans, veterans anyway, when they're sitting out there, what we don't see or what the public doesn't see, uh, veterans make visits. So they meet the coaching staff. They meet the players. They meet the coaches. Anthony Barr doesn't need to meet the players, but he needs to meet these new coaches. He needs to talk to Ed Donatel. He needs to talk to the linebackers coach, the outside linebackers coach, the defensive line coach, the inside linebackers coach. Because in the 3-4, you got a bunch. You got inside D-line coach. You got outside D-line coach. You got outside backers coach. You got inside backers coach. So you got like four guys that Anthony Barr kind of has to kind of meet because in this defense, they could really use him and, and turn him into this monster. So when he's looking at possible suitors, of who he can go to. We know the Jets won him in the past. Maybe they don't want him anymore. Who knows? We'll see. Um, you, you got teams out there who could possibly use his services. You look at the Lions. Uh, you look at the Bears. Um, you know, that could be, you look at the Packers, who they could be like, look, look, you know, you took Zadarius, let's get Anthony Barr. Yeah, let, let's, let's, let's just see what happens there. Um, there's a lot of teams out there who could use the services of an outside linebacker who can play outside in a true three, four, but he can also play the will or the Sam in a four, three. Anthony Barr's time in Minnesota is not officially done because once they get through mini camp, once they get to training camp and maybe a guy goes down or, or, or all these veterans sign and in, in week two or three of training camp, even preseason, maybe, you know, we probably got one game out the way and you got to cut the roster down from 90 to I think, I think I forgot what number it goes from 90 to like 80 something or 75 maybe I think it's 90 to 75 when you cut the roster down then you have to start looking at what veterans got cut because then there becomes this pool of like well we scouted this guy but now this guy's out there if the Vikings do lose Anthony Barr to answer the question they're going to lose a high motor guy um, a guy that has a great relationship with Eric Kendricks, where these two guys have worked well together for you know their entire career uh, in the NFL. They 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 are roommates in college. They were friends here and in college. Um, you lose that just that extra guy that's going to kick the door down with Daniil Hunter. Um, you know, a locker room guy that's you know that that jokes around and, and loves to be around the guys. You're going to lose that. Um, but you might get it back. 
Um, is Anthony Barr replaceable? Yes. Everybody's replaceable in the NFL. Like, that's the one thing. It's always the next man up mentality. It's always a plug and play guy. Um, but I think that's the only thing they're really going to miss is that relationship. So the explosive guy who can be anywhere, but that relationship him and Eric Kendricks had where was that trust that Eric knew I don't have to do this because I know Anthony's going to do this. I don't have to hit this gap because I know Anthony knows his assignment. That's some of the things they're going to lose and he's going to have to regain that new trust with the new guys. Yeah, I think health is always going to be a concern for Barr going forward. I think that's why he hasn't signed because teams are nervous. But I thought he actually played pretty well last year when he was healthy. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit surprised he hasn't landed. Minnesota Twins in Toronto, severely shorthanded. They steal two out of three games from the Blue Jays. And now the Yankees await them at Target Field Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Big three-game series against the Bronx Bombers, the best team in baseball. How will the Twins fare against the Yankees? Well... I mean, let's be real. It's the Yankees. The Twins have never done well against the Yankees, especially in the postseason. Um, when you look at the Twins, though, eight to six over the Blue Jays, the bats are hot. That's the key. Yeah, they had some relievers not travel. Max Kepler didn't travel, but the bats are still hot. I think that's the overarching message I'm kind of getting from this Twins team. Um, when you look at you know, at bats, you look at RBIs, uh, runs, all that kind of stuff. You know, Larissa Rise, um, four hits. You got two hits from Sanchez. Um, it, it's just like that's the key. Is like you're you're getting production. Uh, you look at the pitching. Um, it, it's 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 serviceable. You know, like they're not blowing anybody back by you know hundred mile an hour every single time. Uh, you know, just dominant. You know, no hitters. It's just a defense that's playing well and making plays when needed. There's no lackadaisical plays. I think the fact that they're ahead at this stage, you have more uh, focus, I guess I'll say, because that's where I think baseball with the season being so long, um, you know, for instance, if you look at the standings and you say, let me see, what team was I just looking at? You look at the Royals, 17 and 35. There's some lackadaisical going on there because in their mind, they're like, look, <laughs> We're 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 not even halfway. We're probably out of this thing, you know. Like, yes, you can go on a tear and get back, but you're probably when you're in this the basement that early. Like, if everybody was kind of one game back, I think you have a bunch of teams still playing hard. But when you're 17 and 35, you've doubled your losses to wins. You get lackadaisical. Like you just you're in the outfield watching the dude with the hot dog to spill ketchup. You're watching a guy with the baby drinking a beer. And you're like, I wonder if somebody hits a home run. Is this guy gonna catch it with one hand and be on Sports Center? Like it's just you. You just don't have. But when you're in the lead, you know when you're 32 and 24. The last 10 they got better now. Four and six in the last 10. The Guardians are 24 and 25. So you have a nice lead. Like you're four and a half games ahead. I think there's a little bit more focus of like, hey, we can we can be in the postseason. Like, we're there. Unless we have a meltdown in the last 30 games, we're probably in this. So I think that's the key for the Twins is like the bats have to stay hot because of some of the things with the pitching. You know, like, but like you said, shorthanded, they found a way to win. That's another thing they can throw in their toolbox and say, hey, if this happens again, if guys get hurt, we know we still have the guys that can win games. <laughs> Just try to get one out of this Yankee series and uh, see if you can go, go 500 on the homestand. It's going to be tough um, to beat the Yankees at all. They're, they're red hot right now, but 
just try to get one in the win column. Last I mean, one. Yeah, and, you, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I don't know about that with the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Um, NBA Finals, game two, all Warriors. They even up the series 1-1. Ron, your thoughts? Uh, one thing I noticed, um, somebody made a comment about Steph Curry's antics, you know, like overdoing stuff when he falls and when he's up and he's just, it's the look at me, look at me mentality. I noticed a change in Steph. Like when the shots were made, you didn't see him over-celebrating. Like when Jordan Poole hit that half-court shot, if you look in the background, Steph's just walking. I mean, he's looking at Jordan Poole like, hey, go go ahead, young fella. Like you don't see Steph doing all that stuff, you know? Like he was kind of relaxed. He knew it was a close game, you know, all the way through. And then third quarter, fourth quarter, they just blew the doors off. And so that's the t- – and the Celtics have struggled at home. So that's what's going to be tough. Um, mentally, I don't know if it was like focus because you're home and you just don't think you need, you know, because you're on the road, you get a little bit more focus because it's us against everybody. When you're home, sometimes, you know, you're, you're, you got your family, you know, you got people around you that can just stop by your house that know you and just want to be around you in this moment. So when you win the championship, they can be a part of your story and say, remember when I came over to your house the night of game three or the morning before game three and me and your wife were sitting in the in the kitchen talking, and, you know, like you get all of that extra stuff. You get family that might come to town because it's the it's the it's it's this is it like this is the moment like I'm trying to win it all. So everybody wants to be in town for this. You know, like I, I forgot, I think the Celtics show like a player talk about the tickets he had to get for the for the finals. He was on the plane maybe. But, you know, like that's the difference at home is you get beat down. Like on the road, you can say, oh, yeah, I don't have, we don't get tickets on the road. I only get one or two tickets. At home, they know like, hey, get a suite, bro. Like put us up. Put, put me and your mom and the cousins and, and JoJo them and, and little Andy and, 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 and Chrissy from middle school. Like everybody's body. So it's a different mindset. The Warriors – uh, they, they succumb to, I think, more of like they use too much energy down the stretch. And then the second game, they realize, like, look, let's let's just a long game. There's going to be a battle. If they can, if the Warriors stun the Celtics in game one and the Celtics can't fight back in game or sorry, game three, but game one at home and the Celtics can't fight back in game four, the Warriors might end this like the Warriors could possibly end this in their home state in stadium and, and, and win it, you know, four to one. Because that's what the Warriors team does. Like when they smell blood, they're like sharks. And that's what we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with sharks that now smell blood. They realize, hey, we're going to need everybody. We're going to need all the minutes. We're going to need every second of every quarter of every game to win this. But, hey, we now taste blood of the Celtics. Yeah, I, th- I think you got to contextualize it, too, that the Warriors were way ahead in game one. And then the Celtics hit like a million threes in a row. Yeah. And then the, the Celtics had killed in game two. I mean, the Warriors have been the better team for a vast majority of this series, except for one crazy hot streak. So I feel pretty good about the Warriors pick right now. And I think uh, I, I still hope we go seven games. I mean, that would be great, but I feel like Golden State's the better team. Yeah, I think it's going to go five or six. I hope it goes seven as well. I just feel like, and again, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm captive by the moment. I just watched the Warriors and they just looked awesome. Like they looked awesome in the first game. Yeah, you're right. Like it was, I think Steve Kerr realized the mistake. One, Gary Payton Jr. needs to play because of his defense and his ability to guard anybody or sorry, anybody at the top. And then Steph Curry, you know, you don't rest him no matter what the score is. Just, you know, put him in. Like he should have checked himself in that game when he felt like the Celtics were making a run just to get the crowd back in it, Steph's back in the game. Uh, you know, there goes that man. Like that's that's what you want the the moment to always feel like. And stop trying to steal his MVP trophy. Like I I, I looked at the t- 2015 Andre Iguodala. Like come on, 
If Steph, if they win, Steph Curry's MVP. Stop trying to steal the trophy because he hasn't won one. He gave it to Kevin Durant. Like Steve Kerr might have like hurt that MVP by putting him on the bench. Like dude was on on fire. Leave him in the game. He's got thirty. Let him go for forty or fifty. Like don't take him out. He's this dude's condition. He hasn't even played the whole season. Leave him in the game, Kerr, and make sure Gary Payton the second place because. I mean, the guy is a different – like, he's a different change of speed. He's a defensive guy, so I like it. But, no, that'll do it for the Ron Johnson Show today. I want to thank everybody for tuning in who's watching us on YouTube, those that have subscribed to the podcast. We appreciate your continued uh, support of our of the Minnesota um, – the Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast and the Ron Johnson Show. Thank you, and have a great day.